Welcome to Jack Chat presented by the Journal of Athletic Training, the official journal of the National Athletic Trainers Association. I'm Dr. Kara Radzak from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and your host today. Today, I am joined by the lead authors of two manuscripts discussing return to play considerations for athletes following COVID-19. Dr. Catherine Calpino is a physical therapist and athletic trainer currently with Brown University and formerly with Medford Public Schools in Massachusetts at the time of this manuscript's development. Dr. Ryan Ross is a physical therapist and athletic trainer currently with Clemson University and formerly with Baylor University at the time of his manuscript's development. Katie and Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So the first thing that I wanted to ask you guys is how did these manuscripts come to be? Katie, why did you decide to write this with your co-author? Yeah. So when um, the fall of 2020 came around, we saw the return of high school sports, which is very exciting. Um, All of our athletes had their normal physicals done. We got through fall conditioning and no one was diagnosed with COVID-19. So we were sort of just like waiting for when is it going to happen? What are we going to do? Do we have a plan? And we didn't have a plan. Then as December and January rolled around, December 2020, January 2021, we started to see some of our athletes who had already had their physicals, already been cleared, were coming back from Thanksgiving and Christmas break with um, having gotten COVID-19 over break. So these athletes were then coming back. And a lot of times there was a lag in like the Department of Health, Health wouldn't know. Our nurses might not even know. Sometimes I was the first person to find out that this athlete had had COVID and had gone through their quarantine. And they were coming back expecting to just jump on the ice and jump right back into a game, um, which was a huge red flag for me. Um, So we sort of had to take a step back and figure out this athlete's previously been cleared by their doctor, but they haven't even seen their doctor since having COVID. Their doctor has no idea that they've had COVID. Um, So we really wanted these athletes to have some sort of physical evaluation before they came back. At that point, we were deep into hockey season before they got back onto the ice. Um, So that's sort of what I was pushing for was we can't just let them go right back out. We've got to find something. Um, I was really worried about them getting hurt again, just being isolated for 10 days, not doing anything and then just jumping right back into sport. Um, So when I started doing some research on COVID-19 and return to play, a lot of what I found was about elite athletes and college athletes. Uh, I think those populations are a little easier to study than high school athletes. Almost all of my kids are under 18. Um, And so a lot of that was recommending pretty advanced cardiac testing, advanced physical examination that I was not capable of doing when I had 500 athletes under my care that just wasn't reasonable. Um, even to think that I could do that with my small group of kids who did end up getting COVID-19. So that led to my decision to refer the athletes back to their primary care doctor, whoever did their physical, thinking that that's the person that knows this athlete best, um, who can really assess their cardiac status, and then figure out some sort of return to play for them. So that's sort of where this article came from was I was in a place where we didn't have a plan because no one had experienced COVID before. Um, And the research that was out there wasn't really catered towards high school athletes and the resources that we have at the high school level. I'm sure other high schools have more or less resources. I mean, we're fortunate enough to have had a full-time athletic trainer, um, but not every school had that. So that's sort of where my article came from. 
And Ryan, you were in the collegiate setting and your manuscript covers collegiate and elite athletes. So what were the particular experiences at Baylor that led your author group to write this manuscript? So similar story, you know, we were trying to basically take in the information as it was coming out. It was something different. It felt like every week was was changing. And, you know, we decided to try to come up with a systematic way to evaluate these athletes and kind of run them through a systematic protocol to, you know, safely return them back to their sports. And um, so that's kind of what, you know, led us down the path of, okay, we came up with this protocol, uh, myself and our team physicians and our strength and conditioning staff and different, you know, all the different support groups that, that we were working with at Baylor. And then we decided, you know, a lot of people were asking us, you know, how are you guys handling this? What are you doing? So we started to put it together and make it look a little nicer. <laughs> and then we decided to try and publish it. And so that's kind of where all of this came from. So it was it was a crazy process. It was a crazy time. I think when we look back on that time, it's, you know, it's, it's a miracle that we all survived it. But uh, but that's how it all happened. And that's how it all got to this point. So yeah, definitely being asked to do things that you weren't necessarily trained in your in yeah, your exactly. training program, right? <laughs> so what were some of the complications or side effects of COVID that your groups were particularly concerned about? Um, so in my group, I was pretty concerned about the cardiac complications. There was conflicting numbers, like varying numbers. I mean, one of the numbers I read was like 15% in one group, it was a small that was having cardiac complications in athletes. Again, it's college, so I couldn't really compare it to high school. Um, since then, the I believe more articles have come out saying that that number is closer to like one to 3%. But at the time, I'm seeing this research that has these high numbers of um, people who are asymptomatic having cardiac complications. And these are otherwise really healthy individuals. And again, they're older. So my athletes, I'm so concerned, their heart's not fully developed. They're not adults. Some of them are 13 and 14 years old. So they're really children um, and really not knowing what was going on with their heart. So for me, and as we developed this, I realized I had an experience where I referred an athlete back to her doctor. Her physical was completely clear. Like there was nothing on her physical, nothing about family history, nothing about a prior cardiac issue. I referred her back to her family physician. And when she came back to me, she said, my primary care doctor had me go see a cardiologist and do a full cardiac workup. And I said, why? She said, when I was a baby, I had had a heart murmur. And so he was worried about that. And that would never show up on her high school physical. It was just not something that they thought was relevant to her regularly playing her sport. But when she was referred back, they realized that from her past history and wanted to refer her to a cardiologist. So that was a big thing for me is I'm, we're not sure how these hearts are developing. Um, they're not fully developed. And so, and, and their lungs too. So that was the big concern we had. And then the effects on their general conditioning. These are kids who are, when they were coming back in the fall, they were all really not in the shape that normal high school athletes are because they had essentially been in quarantine for a year. Mm -hmm. um, so they, we were lucky enough to have a whole season that was just conditioning and they didn't play any competitive games. And so that helped a lot. But then when you take those kids and put them back in their room for a week, um, for 10 days, and they're not moving, their general conditioning level is poor. And um, a lot of them are wearing Apple watches and they could even tell me that like, hey, my heart rate's not the same. I'm not sleeping as well. I'm not recovering as quickly. So really there was a need to get them 
back in shape a little bit and really recondition them a little bit. So for me, it was cardiac concerns of these adolescent athletes and really having no idea how COVID was affecting them um, and their ability to recover after being, or like get back some of their um, endurance after being isolated. Ryan, how about y'all? Yeah, I would just say, obviously, cardiac concerns were a huge, um, you know, thing we were trying to navigate. Uh, also, orthopedic injury was a, a big thing. We were trying to obviously work through, you know, these some of these kids, if they tested positive, they're in isolation, um, obviously, for 10 days, then you have to wrap them back up and, you know, put them back out there safely. So that's, you know, if you look at the injury rates last year, they're just insanely high. So um, trying to prevent that, trying to navigate through that um, was was definitely a challenge, as well as I would just say the mental health um, of some of the athletes. You know, a lot of the kids tested positive there in isolation, but but a lot of them before they tested positive, they were in quarantine for an extended amount of time. So when you combine those two, you know, they're essentially in quarantine or isolation for a long period of time. You worry about a lot of different things. Obviously, mental health was a big issue for, for us to try and monitor and, and uh, make sure they're doing okay with. So so those two, the orthopedic and the, the mental health side, I think were, were big, you know, things we didn't expect as much to worry about, but definitely complications. And Ryan, what were some of the recommendations that your group had on how to monitor these athletes during the return to play process? What metrics were you guys looking at? So we tried to look at multiple different things. You know, we had access to, to GPS monitors so we could, you know, monitor their loads through that, which is, you know, our um, director of sports science, Eric Rash, did an incredible job with that. And so, um, you know, we were able to kind of quantify what exactly are they doing when they're, they're coming back out and what are they doing as they work through the return of play process. We could put a, a unit on them and see how they're, you know, what's their speed? What's their total player load? How are they changing direction? How are they, how are they handling all of that? And that was, that was one thing for sure. It's a, it was nice that we had, obviously you might not have that at a high school level, uh, Katie, but, but it was nice. It was nice for us to be able to utilize that. And like I said, Eric Rash and Mitch Jolisky did a great job with that. So. So Katie, what were some of the things that you guys were looking at a high school level to monitor these athletes during return to play? Yeah, so definitely much more low tech um, <laughs> at first. My only way of measuring heart rate was with a pulse oximeter or manually. So I ordered a heart rate monitor on Amazon um, that went around the arm. I did a lot of thinking about this at the high school level too. I was worried about, obviously the heart rate monitor that goes on your chest would be the most accurate um, but I was worried about the issue of modesty and having to take it on and off, like mm-hmm. outside on the field. So I went with the kind that went on the arm, tested it out myself a couple of times, um, and then just went with it. I found that the heart rate monitor on the arm actually worked pretty well, even with like hockey pads and lacrosse pads. Um, I was worried that it wouldn't work with those, but I did have a pretty good range on them. Um, and it, it worked pretty well for me. And I, I was able to get I would track them on my phone and I was able to get real-time heart rate data um, and then I could track their trend so I could see um, what their recovery looked like. And then I was able to show the athletes afterwards, this is your chart. This is what it looks like when you exercise. So as you as you work out, your heart rate goes up and then here it comes down really steep. That means you recovered quickly. That's what we want. But see here towards the end, your slope gets 
um, less steep. That tells me that your heart's not recovering as quickly as we want to. Like it's taking you longer to recover from the same drill. And being able to explain that to high school kids was really helpful. And they could see the picture of like, okay, steep slope is good, not steep slope is bad. Um, so that was really helpful to have that visual. Um, and then just general RPE, asking them how they felt. And for me, being out at practice and watching them and seeing what they look like, like, are they keeping up with them for the ones that I knew before? Um, it was helpful to see, are they, um, acting the way that they normally do, or are they at the back of the pack when they're normally in the front? So some of it was as simple as just observation, very low tech. <laughs> And Ryan, you guys mentioned this neck check rule. Could you give us an overview of what the neck check rule was and how you used it? Yeah, so the neck check rule, um, it's a way to kind of see if you think they're ready to progress into exercise. And so um, in the article they recommend, it's an article by Halabachi, they recommend that you have them jog at a low intensity for 10 minutes and see if they have upper or lower respiratory symptoms. So obviously if they're having you know, chest pain, uh, things like that, then you would you would most likely pull them back and not progress them forward into an exercise protocol. Uh, if they're having, you know, just a s small runny nose, those type of things, then you might handle that a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, but that's essentially the neck check, you know, is it above the neck or below the neck in terms of what symptoms they have, upper versus lower respiratory. So let's go into some scenarios on what you guys recommended based upon this. Let's say you've got an athlete who has tested positive for COVID-19, but they're asymptomatic and they're asymptomatic throughout their entire isolation period. Um, what do you guys recommend for working with this athlete in particular? Go ahead, um, Yeah, so for at the high school level, um, like the athlete I mentioned earlier who had, she had been asymptomatic and there was nothing really concerning on her physical. Um, but I still would want those athletes to follow up with their primary care physician at the high school level. We don't get quite as much information on their physical and that depends state by state. And in Massachusetts, we did get a lot of information, but in some states you're really not getting a whole lot of health history, family history. So I think even if they're asymptomatic, just have them check in with their doctor and let their physician make the decision on what additional testing they need. Um, we were allowing our kids even to just do um, virtual visits. And if that's what the physician deemed was appropriate for that athlete, they had no family history, no health history of cardiac respiratory issues, then that's fine. But allowing their family physician to make that determination um, is what I'd recommend. And then after that, going into a graduated return to play, um, and using that and monitoring the heart rate and using that graduated return to play as another way to test and see if they're ready to go back. Um, so like, did you pass phase one? Like, can we do 15 minutes of walking or biking without feeling fatigued, without bringing on more symptoms? If you're asymptomatic, I expect you to be asymptomatic all the way through the protocol. If the protocol is giving you symptoms or if the protocol is making you feel overly fatigued, then we have a problem. And then I'm probably going to send you back to your primary care doctor. So that's where our plan of, even if you're asymptomatic, see your doctor, have them give you the okay, just sort of like a general screen, and then go through this graduated return to play as sort of like a last and final test to see if you're really ready to hit the field at 100%. And Ryan, what were you guys doing at the collegiate level for asymptomatic? Yeah, so just like Katie said, although they are asymptomatic, you know, there is a chance that they still have 
myocarditis or, or some serious complications. So you have to, you have to definitely, you know, for us, we had them follow up with a physician before they cleared, you know, before they cleared and, and they were able to do cardiac testing. You know, if you don't have access to that, um, definitely uh, using pulse ox and using heart rate monitors to see how their trends are looking will help you to make a decision as to whether or not they're ready to return to play. You know, and if you can utilize all those things, I think you can safely return them through a graduated return to play uh, protocol. And you guys, um, Katie, especially, you guys likened your return to play process similar to what high school athletic trainers and what athletic trainers in general are used to doing with concussion return to play, right? Um, how did, for both of you guys, how did this COVID return to play kind of compare and contrast to concussion return to play that was already implemented at your, at your institution? Yeah, so that um, comparison came from a colleague of mine who, when I, when I was trying to figure out how to develop our return to play protocol for Medford and a policy surrounding it, he said they just took their concussion return to play, copy and pasted it, and just changed some words. Um, and that's when I was like, you're right. A lot of this is really similar. And in the state of Massachusetts, we have to have a physician sign off on their return to play So for, for concussion. So even they're not giving final clearance. Like the athlete can go there the day after having a concussion, get their paper signed, come back to the athletic trainer, and then the athletic trainer does the whole return to play and final clearance. So in that sense, like that's all I'm asking for COVID. I'm asking the same thing that we're asking for a concussion. And a concussion, I'm worried about your brain. So I would tell my athletes, after a concussion, we're worried about your brain. We're checking all of your brain symptoms. I'm having you take the impact test. I'm asking you all those symptoms. We're monitoring your, monitoring your brain. After COVID, I'm mostly worried about your heart. So I send you to your doctor, just like we do for concussion. And then when you come back, I have you wear a heart rate monitor so I can monitor your heart. So that's sort of how I would explain it to my high school kids. And once I did that, a lot of them really understood it a lot more. Like, we're worried about your brain. We do this. We're worried about your heart. We do the same thing, but we ask different questions. Um, so... Once I simplified it like that, it made it a lot easier, I think, for a lot of my high school kids to understand it, parents and administrators too, because it was something they were really familiar with already, and that at least process legally was already in place in Massachusetts. And you guys, Ryan, how is this compare and contrast with you guys' concussion experience? Yeah, I would say, you know, from the outside, it looks very similar, but the emphasis is is definitely different. You know, you're trying to monitor how their heart responds in different scenarios, and then how do they look day by day? You know, they might they might uh, do really well with lower intensity, longer duration stuff, but how do they respond to more anaerobic quote, quote unquote anaerobic? You know, higher intensity, shorter duration stuff, or how do they respond to you know working back into resistance training and things like that? How do they respond to change of direction drills and contact drills? How does that look? You know, from a symptomatic standpoint, not necessarily, a, a, you know, are they having dizziness or headache? So it, it's a, it looks similar on paper, but it's, the emphasis is very different. Mm -hmm. And tell us more, Ryan, about this team approach that you guys took to it. How did you integrate the entire sports medicine team? Right. So we, you know, we had an incredible staff at, at, um, at Baylor, led by Kenny Boyd and, and Dave Snyder, Kerry Rubertino, Shearer. Um, and so we were able to work in, you know, sports science, uh, nutrition, 
we were able to work in. All of us were really, really working closely together. When we were in the thick of it and we were really managing tons of these cases, we were able to all collaborate closely with performance staff and nutrition, sports medicine, sports science. We were all, all tightly working together to say, hey, you know, this you know, this athlete, he looked really good with this, but then, you know, he started having some symptoms the next day, so we're going to have to slow him down, so he's not going to progress exactly through the protocol like we want, and that's okay, and everyone understood that, and, um, you know, in the in the end, it was good for this for the student athletes, for sure, that we were all working together and working closely with our uh, team physicians, and, and it was it was a really good thing, for sure. So what would you guys recommend to somebody who might be in a similar setting as you were at the time, um, who might not have policies completely um, solidified yet, or they're still trying to look for things to best practices? What are some recommendations that you guys have? I think for me, for the at the high school level, the first place I looked um, well, the first place I looked was the Journal of Athletic Training, to be honest, to see if they had said anything about high school athletes. Um, and at the time, there wasn't anything. So that was part of why I was hoping to publish this article, so that if there was someone else in my shoes, they're finding something that mm-hmm. is like, I, I'm in your shoes, too. I get it, you know. Um, and then after that, I went to we were having weekly or month, almost weekly, I think league meetings with all the athletic trainers, athletic directors, um, sometimes the superintendents and principals were on the meetings um, of our league to decide like if the league had a policy. Um, so I'd go, if you don't have one at your school, see if there's a league policy surrounding COVID. Hopefully now there's more. Um, but at the time we really didn't have anything. Um, and then go to the state level, see if your state has said anything. At the time when I was publishing this article, I did like a brief very um, unscientific survey of other athletic trainers in the state. And some states did have COVID policies already that required them to have a physician sign off at the high school level. So some states are more ahead of others as far as creating policies. So that can be really helpful because that's a state policy. Um, So, and if you don't have that, I'm hoping that my article can um, help develop sort of a policy and, I hope that it was quite simple. I had two key points that were refer them to a physician for evaluation, their primary care physician who should already know them, and then follow a graduated return to play. And if you can liken it to your concussion policy, hopefully um, if it's an athletic trainer who doesn't have a whole lot of resources or a whole lot of time, hopefully if you already have a concussion policy, it's not something that's going to be taking weeks and weeks to write a brand new policy. And it's something your administration would already be familiar with. Thank you. Ryan, what are your recommendations? Yeah, I think you have to really have a huddle session with your your you know your support staff. You talk with your team physician and and discuss how to come up with a plan for really how to how to work your athletes back into play safely. You know, how do you avoid drastic orthopedic complications? How do you avoid cardiovascular complications? And how do you how do you put that plan together so that it's succinct enough and it makes sense to everyone? Um, to be able to safely do that for the athletes. So I think it's just really a communication between multiple departments and, and that's not always easy, but I think that, that's the biggest thing I would say. If you don't have a ton of resources, you know, you have to make a plan and, and communicate together. So, What has this experience taught you guys, this whole crazy COVID experience? What has it taught you or given you a new skill that you didn't know you had or needed to have in the profession? 
Ryan, you want to take this one? Uh, <laughs> I would just say, you know, we're all, we're all in this together. There's so many different, um, different branches, if you will, that are working with athletes, you know, whether it is the performance staff and sports medicine, there's, there's so many people working, working together. And I think, I think if there was a, a silver lining is that we we were all so tightly uh, pulled together through COVID. And I think that, that, um, you know, it definitely helped in the long run in terms of camaraderie. So I would say that's what it taught me. Katie? Yeah, I think I would second that. When I was at Medford, um, it really forced us to get to know the other athletic trainers in our league. And a lot of times you're not, you might know the athletic trainers at another high school, but you're not um, talking to them every day. You're not sharing policies over Google Docs or something like that. Um, I was reaching out to old colleagues, like I said, my colleague who said that they just copied and pasted their confession policy. That was a colleague that I hadn't talked to in a couple of years. Um, and I was just reaching out like I knew he worked at the high school level. I don't think he's directly in the athletic training room anymore, but more in like administration. And so I reached out to him. So it really um, it helped me make connections with a lot of other athletic trainers, this process. And at one point I felt really alone. Like I would tell people I felt like I was on an island this like weird athletic training island I was on and I was responsible for all of the athletes after school, their health and wellness and everyone else was gone. And I felt very isolated and going through this process really helped me feel like I'm not alone and talking to others like Ryan makes me realize that even when I was feeling alone like that, I know that I wasn't. And that's part of why I wrote this. Like I wanted another high school athletic trainer. If they Googled like high school return to play after COVID, they'd find something when I was finding like elite athletes when they're 35 my kids are 15 um I just was hoping that I could give other um athletic trainers that sense of not being alone and I definitely realized that I I wasn't through this process well thank you guys both so much for joining me today and thank you for writing the manuscripts for giving those individuals who are in your setting and and even those who aren't because it's the, the collegiate setting, ha that manuscript has some stuff that can be utilized, modified for the high school and vice versa, right? These are great manuscripts to help with this completely new world that we live in. So thank you so much for the and you and your author team's development of these and joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much.